This is Live from the Table, bonus edition. Live from the Table is the official podcast of New York's world-famous comedy seller. And we're available on Raw Dog XM99, Sirius Radio, and the Riotcast Podcast Network. Dan Natterman coming at you from the Serengeti. Not really, this is a virtual background. Dub David Office. <laughs> he's he's uh, back in New York City, and Perielle's here from her undisclosed location in the command center of Periel Enterprises. Welcome one and all to our bonus episode, our Monday night edition. Uh, I, I should note, and I did text you, but just to reiterate, we had uh, the high command, the, the front office uh, said that we should avoid controversial positions regarding uh, any matter that is dealing with the current controversy. <laughs> I don't even want to mention the controversy. Uh, because in and of itself, um, might it could be controversial. <laughs> Saying what you just said is probably controversial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's say well. It, no, well, I don't know. Maybe, arguably, but anyway, that that it comes to us from on high, on high, from the front office. Um, the, the head honcho, the top dog, top big dog. Uh, given the given the climate, um, and 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 uh, to be to be clear, that doesn't mean we have controversial opinions. But if we did. We would uh, we would uh, be we would hesitate to uh, voice them. So, uh, welcome. Dove is coming to us from the Lower East Side. Yes, sir. Lower East Side. He's back in New York City. Welcome, Dove. Last time we were talking about getting Mama's driveway, yes. your ex-wife, however you want to qualify her. I th- listen. I th- I think I think it could be. It's an interesting way to thread the needle. It's an outside of the box solution to to a problem that was that was potentially very challenging. You know how to bridge the divide between Manhattan and Jersey, even though it's not far. It's enough. It feels like a divide. And if I can head out there at night, park car in her driveway, I think um, you know, I, I it could, that could be the way to go. And as far as you I know, have, you, know you haven't yet purchased the RV. Purchased the RV. But her, her lease doesn't start for another couple of weeks, so I wouldn't be able to really um, use the RV just yet. But I looked up how to how to remove all the stuff from the tanks, the black water tanks. That's where you make a doo-doo. Yeah. They call it a black <laughs> tank. Yeah. The black yeah. water. We don't um, think about that so often uh, when we go to the bathroom on board an airplane or that's right. in, in, in a Greyhound bus or whatever. We don't think about <laughs> that somebody has to clean that tank out. That's right. That's right. And so uh, somebody's got to do it. And they have these, uh, they have what, uh, dump sites in RV parks. And then some, uh, there are other types of dump sites, but apparently you hook up to a hose and there's a, you know, a, a little process and, um, you know, you, you do what you have to do and then you fill it up with water. And, um, I, I don't know, listen, I'm not an RV kind of guy historically, but you know, it could be an interesting way to get about. Well, and also we had planned to potentially, you could use it as an after-party location when you park it in front of the comedy cellar. I park it right in front of the comedy cellar. I don't know if that would be practical, you, but it, Oh, the fun never ends, baby. We are going to shake it up so heavy right in front of the comedy cellar with an RV. Because as every comedian knows, you know, getting a girl from the comedy yeah. club where she might think you're interesting and kind of cool and, you yeah, know, yeah. Maybe, a little bit, maybe a little bit dangerous, but not too... Uh, yes, that's right. Then once, the, the further you go away from the comedy club, the more you become like a regular human being and the less power you have. Yes, that's so right. So if, if you can find a location that's close by, 
the, the like an RV parked across the street. Yes. The you could be in a better position. That's exactly right. In terms of probability, if we're really going to make a dispassionate analysis and the objective is getting in somebody's pants, then the shortest period of time between exiting that club and entering another door is an extremely critical variable because whatever takes place in that environment wears off so quickly. Oh, so quickly. You cannot maintain the level of coolness. Once the woman sees you on stage, you're on That's stage, right. you're making people laugh. That's right. You, you, it's hard to live up to that level. Can't do it. Uh, and, nobody's, and ever become, been, nobody's ever been able to do it. So the longer, the longer you, the more time you spend outside that environment, the more you become just a normal person. Yes. And, um, and, sub- and subsequently, subsequently, there's an atrophy that takes place because as a single person, I have not developed the, uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the sort of skill set associated with community. I mean, we've already talked about this probably, but the skill set yeah, associated with By all means, keep digging, you guys. No, 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 no. We, we don't have to keep digging. Periel, how are you? I'm good. This is, fa- I mean, this is actually fascinating insight. Well, you know, we have discussed it, but, you know... Um... Well, there's an atrophy that takes place. Don't you get it? There's an atrophy because... I do. I can, I actually, I mean, at first I thought you guys were being ridiculous, but then thinking about it a little bit, I would imagine um, that what you're saying is probably has more depth to it um, than I really gave you credit for. And I actually am, you know, starting to feel a little bit sympathetic because I could really see that as being true. You're on stage and you have this like huge personality and you're you know you're sort of the king of the room and then you have to go back and like you're a regular human being and that must be very disappointing for these it would be less disappointing if the average comedian had better self-esteem in the first place but it's really a perfect storm because you compound the lack of a sense of self that manifests itself in doing stand-up in the first place with the idea that you're not actually doing stand-up once you stop doing stand-up and then you return to whatever sad diminished a uh, little psychological space that got you to stand up in the first place. So it, it's, it's really a chasing of the dragon. Right? Well, that's know, where the RV I mean, comes in. This way you that's where the RV comes into play. Park it right yeah. across the street, and there's very little time. There's very little time between the time right that you get off stage and then you get into the RV. And that's that, precisely that would, right. That would be the theory. Uh, whether yes. it works in practice remains to be oh, seen. Oh, it works. It works. Or, or whether there's even uh, available parking. No, I mean, it feels very rock and roll. Well, yeah, essentially it's a tour bus, but it's uh, stationary. You know, I mean, who said that you have to drive the bus in order to use it? We're going to leave the RV right there. Right in front of the the comedy cellar. I I, I saw it. Did everybody see um, uh, Dave Chappelle's, I don't know what you would call it. It's a special, whatever it is on YouTube is half hour. Uh, did you see it, Dove? I, 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 I did not. And, um, but I would imagine that there are others that didn't as well. So why, why don't you communicate some of the high points of this special for, uh, for all of us? Well, Dave Chappelle did a... Without uh, saying anything uh, um, controversial. Right, no, well, he did, uh, I guess you'd call it a special. It's a half hour on YouTube called 8 yeah. Minutes uh, 46 seconds. seconds, which is the amount of time that... George Floyd. George Floyd was under the knee of Derek Chauvin. Yes, sir. And so what's interesting about the special, uh, obviously uh, Chappelle's very impassioned about it, um, very upset about it. 
Yeah. The interesting thing about the special is there's very little in the way of humor. Almost not whatsoever. It's mostly him, just his, his... One might not even define it as a comedy special in that case. Well, I, I, other than the fact that it's a comedian, you know, I mean, like if Beethoven, um, yeah. you know, um, did comedy, would you call it a symphony? I don't know, but if I so were I'm a doctor somebody being, that's doing yeah, something yeah. That, that's not in his normal field of... No, I wouldn't call it a sympathy. If there were instruments playing and, and, and he wasn't following any sort of music that had been written with the objective being to create music. But anyway, so... I don't know, whatever, it's a, what went on? a completely worthless analogy that didn't need to yeah, be totally worthless, made, yeah. yet made it, make it, I did. But so I wouldn't call it a comedy special, but it has some numerous moments in it, um, lighthearted moments in it. Yes, For sir. example, he calls, uh, he, he mentions that Candace Owens, you know Candace Owens' issues. Yeah, 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 sure. He mentioned that her vagina he was smelly, but then he backtracked and said, well, I don't know if it's smelly, but if anybody finds out, uh, keep me posted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to which Candace replied on Twitter that she can take a joke, and, 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 and she was uh, basically said that she was honored to be part of, uh, part of his, uh, uh, his special. I would imagine so. Pardon? As, as well she should be. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say... Um, that she should be honored given the content of what Chappelle said about her and also said that she was an idiot, albeit an articulate <laughs> one. I, well, I, I disagree. I think she's pretty bright. Well, that, that would fall under a controversial opinion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how it could fall under controversial. Well, I've met, heard her speak and she seems, she seems reasonably she went bright. To, by the way, she went to my high school, albeit 20 years after I graduated. Oh, wow. But she is a graduate of Stanford High, as am I. Um, that's, a, that's an auspicious beginning. I mean, a, beginning. a man, a man like you comes out of an area like that. One could only hope to. We likely had some of the same teachers because 20 years later, some of the teachers were still there. Yeah. Pretty, I think all of my teachers are, are gone now, uh, that is retired and or deceased at this point. But 20, uh, when she was right. there, probably there was a few that we had. She's right. a very attractive lady. That's all I'll say. Um, is that, <laughs> That's all I was that I find myself, um, what can I tell you? I, I find myself attractive to her physically. Yes, of course. No, no, no. She's an attractive young lady, of course. Um, anyway, anyway, the point that I... What well, else could I say? I find myself attracted to her physically. What <laughs> else can I say? All right. But what's interesting about Dave is, is he has a, um, I think he has something that no other comedian we've ever seen has which is an ability to be engaging without being funny. I don't think Eddie Murphy could pull that off. If Eddie Murphy's not funny, I'm not interested in what he has to say. I don't, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think you're not, you're, not, you're not wrong. I don't think that he's the only one that can do it. I don't think we've seen many people attempt to engage an audience without communicating with humor. But it's interesting in the way that he alters the form. And I think part of what's so engaging is um, a talent, but subsequent to that, which is would be a, a necessary variable to continue to be engaging without being funny, is you feel things deeply, and he feels things deeply, and it it it, it adds to a sense of you want to experience that um, perspective. I mean, I should say know. that Bill Maher does that. You know, I, I can't say Chappelle's the other one. Bill, Bill Maher would be another example of a guy that's. That, that speaks about weighty issues in, in a not always funny way that is engaging. But Colbert. Chappelle has, pardon? Colbert. I, you know, I don't, I don't, um, 
I don't watch Colbert. I'm not familiar with his work. Is he a stand-up even? I don't think he's a stand-up. I'm talking about stand-ups. But, but, uh, but Chappelle, I think you're right, Dev. It's not just what Chappelle is saying. With Bill Maher, it's what he's saying that's, that's engaging. Yes, Chappelle, yes. I think it's less what he's saying and more how he's saying it. He has a, I would almost yeah. say, preacher-like quality. That's, there's some, some uh, sirens going on in, in terrible ambulance neighborhood. But um, yeah, he's got like a There is a preacher-esque aspect to it. I mean, there is in general in stand-up. And his stand-up is not, it's not lightweight fair. I mean, it's always been about something i mean there's you know no, it is. I have those, he's got jokes that are not necessarily uh you know uh lightning uh, you know controversial you know sort of uh challenging you know issue related humor but he, he's always been uh like that he cares about stuff you know whereas i mean you, you don't get that sense from seinfeld you don't get the sense that there's some impassioned plea to experience what he's been feeling around that which is controversial and uh, psychological and reflective and meaningful. And, you know, and probably for that reason, I find Chappelle a much more engaging watch for me. Uh, uh, Chappelle's also always sort of had the balls to not be funny. And to, That's to, correct. to, to spend That's time correct. on stage, which I'm deathly afraid of. I don't have the, yes. I don't know that they would be interested in, in my opinions, but I'm, I'm afraid to find out. Because I I feel that if they're not laughing, they could I know, I know. it could be an anti-Semitic pogrom <laughs> that breaks out at any moment. I'm afraid. I, I'm just assuming that they don't like me, and the only thing keeping me from a beatdown is being funny. And I think that obviously this goes back to my I guess earlier years where I always felt a little bit, you know, not uh, part of the crew. But um, whatever it is, we could go well, into the no. But that's the paradox of trying to write new material because it always involves, you know, sort of, um, it always involves very significant discomfort because as a function of probability, it's going to fail. And then if you're going to talk your way around the premise in search of a punchline, um, that's going to take a while. So even if that aspect of it is relatively successful, you're still sort of the silence is a reminder that you are kind of failing, but the the super objective has to be that um, you're failing uh, so that um, you will succeed in the larger picture of creation and um, developing something worth saying. But it's very challenging to do. I, I don't. I think sometimes the audience likes to see that process. Although we, you know, if we tell a joke that doesn't work and it's a new joke, and we're like, oh, we assume that the audience is annoyed, but Yes. You know, it's two minutes of their time. And I think that sometimes they enjoy like, oh, that's interesting. He, we're seeing a process that we normally wouldn't see. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's just that um, it's hard for people that are looking for an immediate kind of affirmation, which is what you takes place in comedy to some degree. It's not a long form piece of writing where you where you hand it over to somebody and then they have an experience and, and you know, the, the sense of immediate feedback sort of compounds the, the silence, if you will, and, and the, the challenge in, in creation. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, uh, when is this coming back? When, when is it, it, what has Noam said about the club? What's well, going on? Oh, uh, 
Gnome, I think, is in the I mean, the this dark. is apropos banter for the Comedy Cellar. Uh, yes, and I think... What, what is this podcast called, by the way? It's a bonus. Live from the Table. The live bonus from, episode. I don't know what it's called. Live from, live the, from the, the Table bonus. Subtitled. Yeah, go ahead. Live from the Table bonus episode with Dove Davidoff. Now, live from the Table bonus, okay. Wait, what I is, have a question for you guys. Indulge me for a moment, if yes, you will. Yes, we shall. <laughs> Dance. So upset. Um, oh, I don't mind indulging. Do you like how 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 much of it for you guys is? Are you trying out new stuff? Like, do you sandwich it in between yeah. material that you know that's tried yeah. and true? Well, that's called the sandwich technique, and it's yeah. a classic class. It's the classic sandwich. It's, it's a classic BLT. sandwich. Uh, no, that's, but that's the that's the Trojan horse, Pariel, because um, if you haven't proved up front to the audience that you can be funny, the assumption will be that you're going to continue to not be funny. So it's kind of like earning the silence. Like even a long form bit, I would never begin with something that required too much um, uh, sort of listening and context up front because I haven't earned that in the relationship with the audience, you know. But if you get up and you let them know up front that there's some craft and that they will ultimately experience, you know, humor. There's a point, you know, like listening to Chappelle talk, you realize at some point there's going to be something of value that falls out. Whereas I don't think that that's the case for a lot of people, in which case as an audience member, I wouldn't want to sit through their rambling premise uh, right. unless they could really back it up in the end. Otherwise, there's still, it's a payoff relationship, you know. So, but you'll riff, right? Yeah, absolutely you riff. You know, you just want to prove it up front with something that you know oftentimes. But, but um, it's, it's basically a credibility thing. It's almost like getting a loan from a bank, you know. Nobody wants to give you money if they don't know whether or not you can pay it back. And sort of silence is a form of giving you, uh, giving you something from an audience, you know. But that's, that's why I, I, I like storytellers for that reason because it's a bit more risky, you know. If right. I have, like, say, two new jokes to work out that e- on a given evening, say I have two yeah. new jokes that I want to test, uh, I will, I'll do a few jokes up front that I know work. Yes. And and, I, and to be honest, the whole time I'm a little distracted because I know that I'm going to drop the new one in there and I'm hoping that it works, so I'm a little yeah. bit concerned about it. But anyway, then I drop the new one in. If it works, I'll do the second new one that I yeah. want to try. If it doesn't work, Forget it. No more new jokes. I, I don't want to have too many. Ju- take a chance that there'll be two clunkers in there. And I also will lose confidence. And I don't want to do a new joke with, with, with less confidence. So um, now that's me. Other people will be happy to just take their notebook on stage and read a whole bunch of new jokes. And um, You won't do that. I don't do that, no. I, I, I generally have a, as I said, a policy that if the first new joke that I'm trying to test does not work, I hesitate to do a second new joke. Maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't, but it would be uh, likely that I would not. I'll do it another time. Generally speaking, don't have that many new jokes to work out that I have to do. I find it unfortunate. I find it unfortunate that you can't um, withstand more of that, uh, of the anxiety associated with some sustained silence. Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. You have very interesting minds. Very unfortunate. Very, unfortunate. very sad. Very sad. 
It's very sad. It's very sad. You know, my but life is not My life is a formidable mind, but if you have to find the punchline and you won't sit in the silence a bit longer, then certain discoveries just aren't aren't likely. Um, and yeah, so I the joke, so. the jokes right. doesn't mean the jokes won't be great. It just means you won't go certain places, right? Right. To find humor. If, 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 if you pull back, if you have a long premise and you and you and you're too scared to go all the way with it because they're not laughing, you might you might abandon ship and not yeah, get to not get to uh, your destination. Yeah, that's, that's certainly that is all that is often the case. You know, I mean, you hear it said that Seinfeld will say, you know, they come for the jokes; they don't come to hear me talk, and um, that's not necessarily the case for Chappelle. Part of the reason you're showing up is because the the content of the song, it's not just whether or not the song makes you want to dance, you know? And so I, I enjoy that. I also enjoy jokes. I enjoy Dan's act very much. I mean, I, I enjoy jokes, but um, hearing somebody think through something, it's just a tall order because they got to pay it off. Otherwise you stop listening. I'm getting a sense and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth. A certain I won't say contempt, a certain disrespect for Jerry Seinfeld. That I <laughs> no, not at all. He's a tremendous joke smith. I just, I, I don't, um, there is something light. You, you know how you like certain types of films? Like I like dark subject matter. I like, I like a noir, baby, a noir. You, you, you do understand what that term means. Um, that's French. But, yeah, that was free. And, uh, yeah. And so... You know, it's it's just a function of taste. It's not a it's not a, a judgment beyond my experience. He's excellent at what he does. I, you know, I mean, <clears throat> so are certain types of you know romantic comedies. I would rather you know I'd rather go through some sort of a you know I'd rather go to the dentist or deal with a, a light rehab or something. I don't know, but I don't like watching light fair. It's not my thing. I like a Gervais. I like somebody that says something, you know. In Afterlife, he's making humor yes. out of asking oh the my heroin God. guy. That show, that show, I can't get through it without crying. Oh, yes, I have not seen That's it. what's so special about it, Oh, you know? my God, he's amazing. That show is incredible. Yeah, he's always thinking. And so a guy like that, I want to hear what he has to say. I, he doesn't have to have a joke every 30 seconds. I want to hear the, what he's thinking. But like if you guys are going on the road and you're doing 40 minutes or whatever, you're working out an hour, I mean, I would have to imagine that a significant portion of that is working out new jokes, right? Well, I, well I'll speak for myself. If I'm doing an hour, most of it is tried. I'm, I'm doing an hour for people that paid to see me as a headliner, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to do mostly the stuff I know works. And maybe with a few jokes in there that that are that are that are uh, test being tested. It's kind of like the SAT; they give you the test, and then they slip <laughs> in a few questions, which I always like annoy the fuck out of me. By the way, you know, on the SATs, they'll like they'll put in questions that don't count, just to right. uh, test to see if they're good questions. But Dan's relationship with the audience is a psychological yeah. mind fuck, and I never appreciate. It. I don't know if they still do that. Yeah. Dan doesn't give himself enough credit ever, though. Ever. And and so if he has to generate constant value and he defines value as getting to the punchline and providing them with some laughter, then the comfort level 
what I like about Dan's approach is that he he really earns the experience by crafting the joke. Some people just get up and talk, whereas right. Chappelle did some thinking around what he's talking about, and it comes through interesting channels, and that has to be earned. Uh, whereas Dan is, you know, d- doing the opposite. Well, that's that's you know the truth is, and I've said this on, on, on many podcasts including uh, our own, but, uh, you know, stand-up for me is not a pleasurable experience as it is. A lot of people have been talking about during this uh, COVID crisis that we are in about missing stand-up. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and they seem to uh, have almost an addiction to it. And they, they, you know, they're like, I read on Facebook, oh, I got back on stage. You know, I did a live show. They did some live show. And they're like, oh, my God, it feels so good to, to be back. And, and I don't feel that way. Um, you don't miss it at all? I'm No, I'll tell you what I miss. I miss getting off stage, having a, maybe a, a stoli. And, and, uh, and, a, and a light uh, chicken. Um, <laughs> having a, maybe a, a roast chicken. A roast chicken. No, I miss um, the, 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 the social aspect of it, the other yeah. comics, the camaraderie when I'm done. I miss, um, I miss all that as well, yeah. As far it's as the actual on-stage me. experience? <laughs> for, for I don't know how many... You know, people are like this in general, but I know for, for comedy, it's sort of a, it, it's a, like um, I realize that I I have not created relationships in my life where I would call people. The, the people there are a few people that I would see outside of the comedy cellar, but very very few on in a social context. And so, what I realize is that environment became a way to not feel isolated. Um, and so that is part of what what's missed, you know. It, it isn't just getting on stage. I'm right. I've never been, in, yeah. But yeah, it's that the experience of walking into a room, and I would call them friends. But if we're defining friends as someone that you would call during the, then I have very few friends. And so I used to have a room I'd walk into, and there would be enough contact, you know, that you felt as though some element of being human was satisfied and so that you could go back into a life that otherwise feels a touch isolated. But uh, that's my own relatively depressive journey, I guess. Right. I I mean, both of you are, you know, relatively dysfunctional is basically what you're saying. I guess, you know, (laughs) no, no, I I think that's a reasonable take. I, I, you know, you wouldn't get into comedy. Otherwise I wouldn't imagine it. What is ipso facto? You know, I don't know what ipso facto sounds. It's a legal term that, that I should I know. The very fact. By the way, it's getting back to Chappelle. By that very fact or act. Ipso By that very fact or act. Ipso facto is Latin. The enemy of one's enemy may ipso facto be. Yes, by way of. And so that I was using it correctly. There is an ipso facto kind of friendship. Um, by way of that circumstance, but it doesn't extend beyond that. So all those people I say hi to and I know, I, I mean, I might see 35, 50 people that I know over the course of an evening. Almost I, none of them. Well, by definition, I guess you're saying it doesn't extend. Yeah. There yeah. is something that feels very close-knit um, yeah. because of the nature of the work, I think. Yeah, but it's also dissonant because you're experiencing a form of friendship that doesn't extend beyond that room, really. 
And so that's where the isolated aspect of it is. Because right. if you took those relationships into your life and interface in other ways, then the com- then that, that room is at the center of your social universe necessarily. Whereas for me, it is. A healthier uh, balancing of social resources would level things out a bit. It would not be so contingent upon one one room. I wanted to jump back real briefly. Yeah, by all means. uh, uh, To Dave Chappelle's special, because there's one thing I wanted to mention that I think is interesting. And it's a slight spoiler, so you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. Not really, but it's slight spoiler. Yeah. Is that he mentions during his act, he mentions, slight spoiler, you can skip ahead a minute or two. I'm not worried about the spoil. Go ahead. No, I'm saying for the people that are listening to this. Ah, gee, what are you going to ruin a big punchline? No, there's no punchline. He spe- he talks about his great grandfather, William D. Chappelle. Yeah. William D. Chappelle was, believe it or not, born a slave in 1857. This is Dave's great grandfather. Kind of a long time ago to be somebody's great grandfather. That's our age. However, it's possible. I don't think my great grandparents were born in the 1850s, but it it certainly can happen. But in any case. So this man was born a slave. He mentioned Dave mentions him in the half hour special that he just did. And he was part of it after the Civil War and after emancipation. He became a very uh, prominent um, educationalist and bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And he led a delegation to meet with Woodrow Wilson to talk about racism in the White House. One of his sons... W.D. Chappelle Jr., this is, uh, well, I guess, I don't know if it's Dave's grandfather or Dave's like great uncle or whatever, but he was a physician and surgeon who opened the People's Infirmary in 1915. What's my point? Is that I find that extraordinary people seldom come from losers. And, yeah, right. uh, yeah. and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Dave Chappelle is great at what he does and intelligent and insightful and that he's a fairly illustrious family tree. Uh, Your point I, I, is that intellect is genetic. Is that is that controversial again? Um, <laughs> my point is that ex- intellect and creativity and just extraordinary and culture and drive and all of that—all those things are genetic and I suppose yes, environmental within families as well. But I think both of those uh, are are there. You know, for example, Billy Joel's grandfather was a huge industrialist in Germany. Yeah, you don't usually get smart from two stupid people. I mean, the premise is basic. It is. Well, it's basic enough, but, um, you know, I don't know. I I just thought it was interesting. No, no, that's a particularly unique background. That's a particularly unique background. I mean, think of Dave Chappelle. You certainly don't think, uh, you know, of a delegation to the White House necessarily, although I guess Dave's probably been to the White House at this point, but... Dave's parents were both, I think, professors. I mean, one of his jokes is, I'm the first person not to go to college in my family. So, yeah, yeah, that's... I think you'll often find, you know... Dave's not a hood guy. He's not, he didn't come But even if he were a hood guy, I bet you, like, I bet you even a hood guy that achieved greatness, if you go back, you'll find something. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. No, no, your point is that, that stupid parents don't create necessarily interesting smart children i'm sure there are a few exceptions but overall oh yeah i mean um although it's been theorized that aspects of genuine genius however people 
you're, you're breaking up a little bit. It's uncorrelated with whether or not their parents were necessarily good at something. You know, you could be a freakish guitar player and not have had a, somebody that was hitting it out of the park intellectually as a parent. But oh, yeah. the music, music yeah. is, you know, music is another category. No, no, you're getting controversial. But mu- well, mu- music probably does have a genetic component, but it may not be completely correlated to IQ. It may be another thing. That's exactly, yes. No, no, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, and also Billy right. Jones, by the way, his, I think his half-brother is a conductor in Europe. So, I mean, you know, um, so that, again. Yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't have enough of a sampling of pop culture to sort of think through the backgrounds of different artists that I've experienced, but I would imagine that that, that sounds like a reasonable hypothesis that, you know, I mean, if your parents were dopes, uh, you have less of a chance of uh, not being a dope. Um, Periel, any thoughts about that? Uh, lightly controversial, perhaps, uh, discussion, but, but not too bad. Which part? <laughs> whatever, any, about whatever part that you want to comment on, if you have a comment. Well, for example, <laughs> for example Perry, I wrote a book about her, uh, her uh, sex life and her... Uh, <laughs> I love it when Dan tells everything that the book is about, but he's never read it. I know. We're bad about that. We have to, we have to buckle down. I think that... Um, so is literary, uh, my point was, did, does your family have any other literatis? My grandfather was a very important Zionist journalist who was um, an author who was um, deeply involved in the um, founding of the state of Israel. So yes, I suppose that is controversial. Well, what we're saying is, and I, I think the veiled uh, aspect of what could be controversial is that intelligence is uh, very correlated with genetics. I don't think, I don't think there's any way around that. I think nurture has tremendous amount to do. do Yeah. I mean, although I really am the black sheep of my family in a lot of ways. Right. But I'm I'm certainly the only stand-up comic in my family, but there are intelligent people in my family and I'll bet you know, my like, I, you know, I'll bet that if I, you know, uh, uh, snooped around my family tree, there might have been, you know, Heschel, the village clown or something back <laughs> in, in Poland. You know, he was always making jokes about his cousin Sheila coming over to his apartment. You know, like my cousin. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, on my father's side, too, like my, they're pretty brilliant. I mean, you know, my father's brother is like probably like genius level IQ, but I never thought of myself that way. Like, well, we don't think of you that way either. But we're just <laughs> saying, we're just saying that you uh, that you have a literary bent, and I was wondering if there was any literary. Well, there's a cultural aspect to it too, which and is that too. Jewish uh, tradition. Uh, if I if I could. Um, if I, you know, in terms of generalizing about culture, which has become tricky in this day and age, mm-hmm. um, uh, but but true nonetheless, it is it is a more intellectually dynamic uh, culture than many, and so it produces, in in addition to you know intellectually being often a 
you know, listen, you, you know what the hell I'm saying, for God's sake. What do you, what do you that, that brings us into uh, the latest I wanted to do. Everything's controversial if you start to, you know, get, get into it, you know. You're supposed I, to say it's all environment. It's not all environment. It's genetic, a lot of it. It's a uh, fact. I, I wanted to uh, give you an update because I think that's a good lead. in with my literary efforts, as you know, uh, I have literary um, ambitions as well. Yeah. That's and right. I, What's going on with your novel, Dan? Well, I'll tell you, and I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm glad you asked with no prompting whatsoever. None whatsoever. Um, I, I'm predicting the, 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 to finish the first draft by the end of July. That is my estimated wow. time of arrival. Very impressive. Wow. I started last May, so we're talking, you know, 14 months or whatever, which I don't know what the average time is to write a novel. That sounds about right, I guess, or about I mean, right. It takes people years. There's no, yeah. there's no... Right. And, and I don't even know if it's good. What I do know is it will soon be done, at least the first draft. And then I have to go back through it and um, make it presentable and, 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 and readable so that when I decide to go to agents or however I decide to. Um, tremendous accomplishment to be able to pull something like that off. Absolutely. Very I did, it little, I did it little by little. And oddly enough, when you do it little by little, it gets done. I mean, it's just amazing what you can do. Yeah. Uh, even at even at a slow pace, glacial page every other day, you know, yeah. you within a year and a half have a novel. Um, yeah. I mean, Dan, it's quite given remarkable. enough time, it gets done. What's that? It's quite remarkable that you have pulled that off. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not, not the only one who have done so. Many comics have written books, some most of which are memoirs, some of which are novels. Um, but I, I, it's not something I ever. Uh, thought I would do a few years ago, you know, certainly. And uh, basically, uh, I figured, and it's a good time to do it because there's no comedy going on right now. But um, did you enjoy it? No, no, not a moment of it. Um, <laughs> but I do enjoy when I'm finished writing and I'm like, oh, okay. Because like basically every chapter would be like a pain in the ass trying to figure out. I knew chapter by chapter what, the, what I wanted to accomplish, but then you had to figure out exactly how you're going to accomplish that in each chapter. And that was always difficult and a struggle. And, um, and then I would do it and then I would feel really good. Oh shit. I solved that puzzle. Yeah. And then I would get to the next chapter and be like, Oh, here we go again. Now what do I do? But, uh, yeah. but it was satisfying when the puzzle got solved. So well, hopefully it's reason. It's hopefully it's decent. I mean, you know, I don't well, want to self publish it. You know, I, 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 in fact, I would probably rather just uh, not, do anything rather than self-publish, but I'm, maybe I will. There's I something masochistic about the writing process, but I guess the people that love it find enough, you know, joy and, and catharsis and, and, you know, energy in, in doing. When I, you read about, you ever read about like somebody's writing process, you read about a Hemingway. I mean, I, you know, some people can't not do it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, they're not right. And there are people like Stephen King who's written yes. every year. He's got another 600 page novel. I mean, that, that it, it's, it's just such an isolated pain. I, I couldn't imagine what that's like. It's really fun. Well, oh. Mary, I'll I offer mean, another point of view. I, um, I really, really enjoy, um, yeah. I mean, I've, you know, only written two books, so I, can't well, that's two more than 99.99 percent of yeah that's right yeah. well yeah but you know you think about somebody like stephen king but i mean i've always really it feels like a real luxury 
to be able to go hold yourself up somewhere and, you know, sort of indulge in this world. Um, and I don't know. I mean, to be able to do that is, is sort of thrilling. Yeah. I mean, I'm also like very ADD, so I can't like sit in New York and do it, right? Right. Are you working on anything now, Perio? Well, I've been working on turning the writing a TV show from the prequel to my first book. I think it's pronounced prequel, but go ahead. <laughs> Pre- prequel. 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 What did I say? Prequel. 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 You're right. Prequel. Um. So that's what we we shot. The first book I shot a pilot of the first book. Um, we sold the, we sold it, and um, I it was terrible. Yeah, I've been there. It's not easy to do to sell it, let alone try to create a pilot that, you know. Now, how long did it take to write your memoir, Rude Dog? It took it took a while, but I stopped for you know a couple of months, you know, and then again for a couple of months, and then I would get I I mine was very. Um, streaky you know i would i would turn out 12 pages and then uh you know not go again for a i think you remember being I, like I, a couple of years that you were working well <clears throat> i didn't yeah i mean we were working through some like deadline like the deadline kept getting pushed out and then without the deadline it was hard for me to sit down and you know I, I, it's it's not easy to nail yourself to a chair yeah and dive into at least what for me was a very, uh, uh, at times dark and, you know, there was a, a not. Well, you a had not to relive your life. So you had to relive your life whilst writing this. I don't know. You if had that to relive your life. You got to relive it. It's, I mean, it's definitely a long, long process. That, and sometimes um, sort of a tedious one. I find the editing process, I mean, I had to reread that fucking yeah. book like four oh. times. I wanted to throw myself oh. into oncoming trap. <laughs> yeah, the editing process is, oh. it's... I mean, reading it once was bad enough. I can't imagine how you... <laughs> well, if you're writing non-fic, I mean, you know, I had to vet it with the legal department at Harper yeah. Collins like 30 times. I yeah. mean, it is, it's brutal. I have nonfiction aspects in my book because the main character is a comedian. And I don't know how that will work legally. I don't think it's an issue. But for example, he's a comic and a screenwriter. So he'll reference, like Dave Chappelle is referenced in it, for example. Um, movies, certain movies are referenced in it that are real movies. I don't know that that would be a legal issue. No, no. It's more I'm if not- you're writing about people who are, yeah. like I write about my family and not yeah. always in the most flattering light, one could right, say. Right, me too, yeah. Um, so you can't write like identifying factors about a person who's not famous. That could- a, good way to, a, a, a good rule of thumb is just to think, would this person, if this person is real, would they sue the publisher? Right, exactly. You know? exactly. That's what they're looking out for. So if you're not saying anything that is necessarily, um, you know, inflammatory or, or def- defamating or so, you know, some, some, right. you know, um, 
Yeah, no, the writing the thing for me that was tough was that um, I always wanted to do comedy. I always wanted to do stand-up. And so I started, I mean, I sold my first book when I was like 28. And I, well, you wow. might disagree, Dan, but that I, you know, I always thought I was funny. Yeah. Um, but I- I agree you thought you were funny. <laughs> But I learned, you know, the art of stand-up is so different than um, being yeah. able to write something funny in a book. But also in a book, you don't, the, 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 I think that um, the, the expectations are much lower. I mean, a stand-up club, we're hoping to howl with laughter. When was the last time you saw a guy reading a book on the subway? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the, it's, it's just the expectation. Like I t often will read these reviews of books, a whip smart, uh, thrilling, yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. And you're like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, damn well that shit ain't. It might be whip smart, but you know, it ain't fucking a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Very few, very few books are, are, are howling. Books that are like really incredible that you've read and that are, you know, amazing to you. What books? Confederacy of Dunces, Periel, was the greatest piece of humor I've ever experienced. You're talking about humor books or you're talking about, I don't read humor too much. I mean, no, just books that like really had like a program. My favorite book, and I had to take it down from Facebook because unfortunately <laughs> it's gone with the wind. I, you know, I, 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 I know that uh, even to say that right now is tricky, <laughs> but uh, that, that is my favorite novel. I, uh, you know, acknowledging fully that it glorifies that which should not be glorified, but it also brings you into a time and place in history, which is fascinating to me and many people, especially Americans. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so uh, I, uh, The Jungle's another book I love, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair about uh, turn of the century, um, Meatpacking plants in Chicago. Anybody's watching this and they're a fan of humor, which I would imagine this is, you know, it stems from the cellar and all of that. Confederacy of Dunces is the greatest work of humor uh, that anyone has ever created. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, what do I know? I, I listen. I, I, you have to have read a lot of books to come to that conclusion, but the great Colin Quinn also agrees that it's, it's the finest piece of humor. That's, um, you say the finest piece of humor in any media, so you would say any movie, any any great Woody Allen movie, anything. Yeah, it's better, it's better I, than everybody. It's better than everything. It's better than um, yeah. Well, I am embarrassed to say that I have not read that yet. I've not read it either, but I'm not embarrassed about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, um, but I will read it now. I went through a phase in college where I read all of Charles Bukowski. Oh, yeah. I read some Bukowski. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a Which is probably is also controversial to say. Yeah. Um, and that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. Naked Lunch is a mind blower along like those lines. Burroughs, I mean. It was yes, yeah. The straight up genius lunatic, you know. But and like Gertrude yeah. Stein. I never made it through a Gertrude Stein, but yeah, I could only. Well, I, I, I tried to once to read. This is, uh, I think I might have mentioned this. I tried to read David Copperfield one time because <laughs> I figured, well, this is something you're supposed to read if you're a if you're supposed to be a literate person. Yeah. And. I gave it a hundred pages and I threw it in the garbage. Literally. Wow. Put down my garbage chute. I didn't want it in my house. 
my children, <laughs> when my children sleep. When my children sleep, when my wife makes their bed. Yeah. I mean, I was so, I was like, I don't even, I was infuriated. I was like, I don't, now maybe had I continued, it would have been interesting and, or maybe I missed something. It's certainly possible that I'm a Neanderthal who doesn't appreciate great writing, but I, it was like a hundred pages of absolutely nothing happened. And I mean nothing. I yeah. think a hundred pages is like, that's like a fair go. I, um. No, that's fair. I'm telling you nothing happened. I mean, nothing happened in this. Thing. My yeah. ex-boyfriend was uh, from, you know, many, many moons ago was a Herman Melville scholar. Oh, God. In an attempt to sort of ingratiate myself, when we first, very first started dating, I um, bought a copy of Moby Dick. So oh, Moby Dick I liked. I did like Moby. And that was a great book. Oh, okay, so we're in accord on Moby Dick. Some of the chapters were not page turners, but necessarily, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, a tremendous work of art. Uh, yeah. But imagine sitting down and writing that behemoth. Oh, of my book. God. Well, I guess over the course of 12 months on a whale ship, you know, I mean, in between, you know, brief moments of terror, you're... Uh, you got some writing time there. Some focus. I mean, all all kidding aside, though, I used to be a voracious reader, and then I became a mom, and yeah. um, it's been very challenging to get through. I mean, books really changed my life. Yeah, in a way that um, was really profound. Yeah, but it's been really hard to have that. I mean, I guess that's. The, you know, I think I'm a little bit of a narcissist. And so the idea of writing a book or sitting and reading where you can just be like completely absorbed into like your own world, um, you sort of lose that when you become a parent. Yeah, a buddy of mine wrote that fatherhood was the death of narcissism. Well, have you found that to be what well, the case, Dove? You're a new father. Yeah, sure. To some degree. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't. Without some aspect of devoted self-interest being mitigated by fatherhood, then you are what's known as a scumbag. Well, have you found that your own personal ambitions have been subsumed by... by? Uh... I don't know that ambition is necessarily subsumed. I mean, sometimes it's enhanced because you have to, you have to provide for another life, but... but um... Then it becomes about uh, an ambition that's very much about not about your own personal glorification, but about providing for a child. So it's not quite... Well, the but there, there's, some in, 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 there's some crossover, you know, because sometimes people have a kid and then commit more deeply to whatever it is they do, even if it's a creative process. So one doesn't necessarily um, diminish the other, though it can, you know, depending on how balance is achieved. And certainly in terms of, you know, some having free time yes more of that would be occupied by an experience of having a child in which case you would tend to read less uh or get up earlier in the morning you know to to try to read as much as you did i i don't know but yeah i mean i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about here do you want another kid i mean have you thought about that yeah listen you know I, that would have to be in the context of some form of you know relationship that made sense i you know we were watching well, the, the, the wife and I said that, she said, uh, did you see that, that film that Paul Thomas Anderson, it was, um, he, he, he made a film with um, Daniel Day-Lewis where um, it was called like The Thread or The Golden Thread. You remember the, Periel, it was a movie. Um, 
I like Paul Thomas Anderson, but I don't remember that. Well, well, that was the one with um with you know the my left foot Daniel Day Lewis. I don't watch a lot of film. I almost Phantom Thread. There's one called Phantom Thread. The Phantom Thread, baby. The Phantom yeah, that was Thread. Written by Daniel Day Lewis. Yes. Yeah. Well, he plays. You know, and and Daniel Day Lewis plays an artist who's a designer, but you know he's very deeply involved in the craft of it and very self-involved. Long story short, uh, he gets involved in this very freezing chip there was one morning where he's sitting there and she begins buttering her toast and you could see how profoundly bothered by by that he he is because it makes a bit of a noise when she does it and she is not she's sort of buttering the toast without the kind of attention to detail that would have diminished the sounds emanating from the toast and he really and i'm infuriated (laughs) I, I tell you, toast sound like psychologist. If you're already pissed off at somebody and they're buttering that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. that might make that might push you over the edge. I know, but you, it shouldn't. In theory, you know, if you're going to be in a relationship, I mean, with, if you hate somebody and they're buttering that toast, I'm saying, right? You're if you're, it's about like how close to your breaking point you already are. That buttering a toast yeah. might push you over if you were sufficiently close. Right, but the degree to which you've earned that closeness will determine whether or not it's a pathology because the pathology isn't a behavior in a vacuum to be, to get upset by somebody that where the, the, it's the straw that broke the camel's back would not necessarily be a pathology. A pathology is when I want to achieve some stasis in a relationship and I want to not be upended and she hasn't done anything wrong beyond the toast buttering, and I'm still upended by it. That would be a problem. A little much. If that's what happened in the movie, he flipped on her because of the toast. And Along those lines, it bothered him to the degree that it would get in the way of any attempt at any relationship. Um, and it, you know, it, it, yeah, it was a very significant moment and so my experience of my own sanity and or ability to sustain a romantic relationship and this related to do you want another kid question is is the ability to discern between uh the the loud buttering of the toast being uh you know being a function of i've taken enough and it's healthy to extricate myself from this and how much of it is you have a, a, a kind of thin skin and you, you respond to things by getting, you feel them more deeply than the average person. And to get involved in a sustainable close proximity, like a romantic relationship under logistical pressures of life, if you're upended by things, it's going to make it that much more challenging. It's challenging already. And so I begin to question my own. So you're saying, if I could summarize, is that you question your ability to be in the kind of relationship that would allow you to have a child, to bring a child into the world in a healthy relationship. That's right. That's right. Okay. You know, that, that's right. I mean, uh, I, I think we all experience moments of a kind of questioning of our own psychological conditioning. You know, it's... it's, it's um, it's it's distressing. It's it's distressing. I think somebody's. Uh, I think whatever they can hear me. I mean, I think in order to be a 
you know, good or great parent, I mean, you really need to hand yourself over so wholeheartedly to this child too, right? I don't have an issue with that. At least not yet. But yes, you're right. You're right. The child part of it. But you're also navigating the relationship is part and parcel of that. It's not separate. Unless you're a single parent, in which case, you know, that's a totally separate. um, No, I was thinking even about moving forward. The idea that you can develop particularities as a human being and a kind of rigidity around the way you see the world that doesn't always allow for kind of not smoothness. The objective in a relationship isn't just smoothness. Sometimes it's the ability to withstand a lack of smoothness. And there are just many paradoxes that would need to be threaded, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Dan in terms of my, I don't see myself at all in a relationship, but I relate to Dan insofar as I I find that them to be conceptually uh, really good vehicles with which to move through life in. but, but the, the empirical aspect of the being in it does seem challenging, I guess. It is challenging. Well, I'm fascinated as a spectator to see Dove's next move. Uh, now the an Dove's RV, baby. Well, the it's RV. A, but it's in a 15-foot, it's a pup. It's a, I, I, in terms of... Go ahead. You got your wolf. Uh, it's a, like a Cougar 24. You got your wolf. There's those bad Indian designs. You ever see the Indian tchotchkes you, like, you could see in a mall, you know, dime store or something like that? It's got right. awful graphics. I mean, it's just, just a, a, abysmal uh, I'm just uh, aesthetic. Dove reverts back to uh, his old ways. If the old Dove is truly dead or if he's just been, we just haven't seen him in a while and he's still alive, but yeah. he's been sort of on the land. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know whether or not the, the lion has been defanged either. <laughs> Now the Dove is single again, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, because Dove, as you know, you didn't know Dove back when his 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 yeah. his uh, his glory days, but it was something to see. Such a day, such a do glory. Tell. Do you tell? Do you tell? Phil is We talked about it. You know, Dove was. No, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. It was just, uh, you know, he was one of the best that there was. Very good. He was good. It's 8 o'clock, by the way. Yeah, okay. So, well, we can wrap it up, but... Um, can you guys fill us in a little bit? Um, I was there last week, um, at the end of last week, but it's been a few days. Um, what's going on? How's the city doing? Well, I was just out just today. In fact, I met a Ruberay. We had uh, some acai in Carl Schurz Park. For some <laughs> um, Wait a second. Slow down. He's downtown west, isn't he? Yeah, he was in the neighborhood for one reason or another. I'm not, I think he went to a do- had a doctor's appointment anyway. So we met him. We had an outside lunch. Yeah. Uh, there's a, the joint is jumping. There, it's a nice day out. So people are, you know, mostly wearing masks, but not everybody. But a lot of people outside on the streets, bicycling in the park, walking the Dougie. And does know. that feel safe? Were you wearing a mask? I wear a mask, but obviously if I'm eating, I'm not wearing a mask. I, I sit down, I try to keep distant, I pull down the mask, and in goes the acai. It's such an it's such a such an acai they make. Put it right yep. in there, you know. But um, I, I, you know, I don't. I do. I feel safe. I mean, well, you weren't long- leaving the house. I mean, you weren't doing that. Well, uh- I wasn't leaving the house, but the weather stunk. Now the weather is good, and I'm I'm outside every day. Um, 
And also, I think that the the data is showing that outdoor transmission is far less of a threat than indoor transmission. At least that's what I've read. Yeah, I keep getting mixed signals. I mean, Dr. Burke said that if you're outdoors and you can create reasonable social space, then you don't necessarily need to wear a mask. But then it seems that there are many people that, um, you know, want a mask worn anytime you're anywhere in potential proximity to anybody. And also, so, uh, Ariel, you know, it's, um, it's like anything else. The more you, you the more, the, the more the time that goes by that you don't get sick, the more you yeah. take chances. It's so, you know, if I go out once and I don't get sick, then the next time I'll go out and maybe be a little bit more reckless, you know, and then, the, and if I don't get sick that time, then, the, and before you know it, I'm, I'm, I'm making out with strangers. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to get a lot of that. That's, that's, that's precisely if you wanted to get a light to medium syphilis. That's how to achieve that as well. But you know, with each with each passing week that I don't get COVID, I'm like a little bit more emboldened, which can can be very dangerous. That's you know, um, such an emboldened. But you do get emboldened with each week that goes by. You're not getting sick. Yeah, you get an emboldened. It's true. But I mean, you also like each become, time a, a, a burglar might commit a crime and he doesn't get caught, so the next crime is even more audacious. I wonder how that applies to what we were talking about, about you being on stage before, though. Oh, no application. So, um, <laughs> well, how do you mean that I don't see the relationship? Well, just that you were saying, you know, you're reticent to tell a joke if, like, the first one didn't work. I would imagine that having done this for so long and wait, by wait, all objective... Wait, wait, let me finish. Let me finish. And by all objective accounts that you are... Very, very funny. And, you know, so, some might say, um, you know, sort of a brilliant comic that you would apply that to, um, you know, this sort of, it's not just moment to moment, um, you know, reward that dictates. I hear what you're saying. And, <laughs> and, and it makes sense. And for some reason, it, you're right. You would think that give, if enough times I go on stage and things work out, then it would make the next time less stressful. And yet it hasn't seemed to. So I cannot explain that, but perhaps we'll get into that next time. We, we do have to go. We don't have to go actually. We can stay on here for another 30 years, but, but um, <laughs> we will go, I think is what I meant because I like to leave people wanting more. Yeah. So co- a podcast at comedy for questions, comments, and suggestions at Doug David off on Twitter, Instagram, and all over the social networking world. Yeah. You know, I've been locked out of my Facebook. I can't get in because um, they're asking me to confirm using my email, but the email they have in their system is my old email and I can't access it because it's through a server that no longer exists. It's the strangest thing. But anyway, who cares? I don't care. I have to- He's not a big social media guy. He's trying more and more. He's trying to get into it. And um, yeah, yeah. By his yeah. dear friend, Brian Callen, who's actually quite successful on social media. Yes. So, but anyway, so uh, Periel. Follow us at Live from the Table on Instagram. And um, we are supposed to say this at the beginning of the episodes, but we're also on YouTube. So you can watch. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, all right. So we say it now. Anyhow, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys.